Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Technology has certainly delivered our world some incredible benefits. Within reach of most people's hand at any point during the day, and sadly also at night, but we'll save that story for another time, is a powerful computer. A computer more powerful than the one that supported man's ascent to the heavens and ultimate trip to the moon and back, the Apollo missions. Your personal computer doubles as a camera, watch, calculator, compass, torch, alarm clock, recorder, music player, book. Well, you get the picture. In medicine, technology has seen some incredible advances too. We can see inside the body without cutting it open. Now with more advanced real-time imaging capabilities, medications that fight infections, implantable technology that senses heart rhythms and corrects abnormalities, and continues with innovation in 3D printing, monitoring, and above all, capturing detailed data on people at immense scale and exquisite detail. But does all this data and technology deliver real change and improvement in health and wellness? Does it help or hinder the delivery of equitable and widespread access to good healthcare and caring for our community? The COVID-19 spotlight has been stark and unforgiving, shining a light on the inequities that existed long before the pandemic and created additional pressure on the already strained system to find alternative ways to deliver care. In some cases, those alternatives widened the gap, exacerbated by the digital divide that separates our community, creating problems for those oftentimes in most need. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Carla Denise Edwards, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer at Henry Ford. She's been driving innovation and creating private-public partnerships to deliver accessible health and wellness for the best interests of mankind. Hi, Carla Denise. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you sit in a, a position of uh, a healthcare system, you're focused on strategy, innovation, and indeed a lot of focus on technology, but does technology really help to deliver healthcare or has it become more of a hindrance given it's exposed many of the inequities that we see that were already there, we just, I don't think, had quite the spotlight or the focus on it? You know, Nick, it's such an interesting question. And um, I'm concerned at times that we over-index on technology. However, I will say technology has been an incredible enabler to medicine. 
right? We use technology to build and create pharmaceuticals. Without that, we would not have been able to create the vaccine for COVID that saved so many lives. We use technology to enable uh, surgery, um, other procedures, life-saving procedures that occur in hospitals and clinics. But most importantly, I think where we have evolved is the use of technology to capture data and information that we can use to actually garner the insights that helped us understand the inequities you just described, right? And so the healthcare inequities and disparities are not necessarily a result of technology, but the data and the insights that we've been able to garner gives us a much deeper understanding of a problem that has been in existence for a very, very long time. So I, I, so I, think, <laughs> I, I think that's exactly right. It, it's, you know, it helps expose and importantly support it, you know, the position with data. So rather than talking in the abstract, we can say or demonstrate that, you know, case in point, the incredible lack of internet access, technology access, and, you know, what that unloaded on many people is, is this inability to interact with a healthcare system that shut down because we said no more coming in, physical access, uh, highly limited. So we further exposed it and we said, well, let's solve this with technology, but that's not been the case. Is it going to be or has it, have you seen it be part of the solution as well as providing the inputs and the source to that uh, challenge? Yeah. Now that's a really, really good point because I think access to digital applications to the internet, to actually having devices such as cell phones or laptops or iPads has absolutely exacerbated what's called that digital divide, mm. right? There are people who are in poor communities, rural communities, urban communities, where access to devices that are second nature, let's say to the upper and middle class, um, just don't exist. Right. And so when we actually had to pivot during COVID to seeing people virtually, right, to working from home, um, there were significant people left behind. I just heard a story of a family where the storm that came through Michigan last year wiped out their power and their internet. And at first they were just a little bums because they couldn't access Netflix. But then he realized three weeks in that the kids couldn't study. They weren't able to work. They couldn't order groceries. You know, there were so many different things that the family was dependent on the internet to help them facilitate and mobilize. And so um, it is incredibly important that access to not only the devices, the technological devices, but the internet be available to everyone. If we're going to make that pivot as health becomes more and more um, accessible, uh, virtually, as opposed to solely dependent on those personal and physical interactions. And, you know, we need that because right now there's not enough of anything to go around in our healthcare industry. We don't have enough access points. So we should be looking at technology and digital to enable to have us to have more access points, particularly in the area of mental health right? But at the same time, we have to be very cognizant of the risk associated with that. If there's not equity in one's ability to get access to the internet and digital devices, and then to maintain that 
because it, sometimes it could be cost prohibitive or you live in a community where it just doesn't even exist. So I, I, aside from the fact that you talk about internet out for three weeks, which I, 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 I challenge anybody listening to this show to say, oh, that would be entirely acceptable. Can you imagine that as a, a sort of a, a position statement? It's truly astounding to me. So somebody somewhere was messing up if that was the case. But um, that becomes a sort of core component. But you're a healthcare system, you're a hospital. That's not something that you can necessarily influence. Maybe you can, maybe you've got some examples. How do you go about approaching that as you think about delivering wellness and health to your broadest community in a fashion that everybody has equal and appropriate access? Well, you know, I will say this, that Henry Ford Health is very well positioned to be impactful and influential. Um, we participate actively in various community endeavors. One of them is called Connect 313. It's a nonprofit that was founded here in the city of Detroit, um, garnered by resources acquired from the United Way, Rocket Mortgage, Microsoft, Henry Ford Health. I mean, groups of individuals and uh, entities, corporate entities uh, coming together at the community level and the corporate level to say, what can we do to improve access to devices as well as the internet across the community? Really for two reasons. One, economic development, as well as healthcare access. So Henry Ford is actually very leaned in on trying to address what one might call the social determinants of health by partnering with others in the community to drive access in those specific areas. We also are very cognizant of the fact that not everybody has access. So even though we ended up going virtual, um, we set up hubs or places where people could go to actually get virtual care, right? And so you didn't necessarily have to have it in your home or at your fingertips. We also did a massive media and kind of marketing campaign to let people know where to go and how to get there via radio, right? Text messaging, right? And television and billboards. So yes, there's a lot of dependence and reliance on the technology, but you can find creative ways to get to the folks who may not use it as their primary source of communication, right? But then still enable the utilization of it for the delivery of healthcare. But like you, Nick, I'm gravely concerned that as the digital divide continues and persists, it only exacerbates the health inequities and the disparities that we see. But foundationally, you know, this is all about the institutions that we depend on are historically discriminatory. Mm -hmm. And we as a community and a society have to make a decision that that's unacceptable. So revamp those. So hopefully we've reached, I, I, I'm, you know, positively speaking, we've reached an inflection point, uh, a, a, a self-acceptance, more of an awareness that that's the case. You, you talk about a partnership and to me, that strikes me that bringing together those groups or individuals seem to be an essential component because historically they've never come correct I, I, not my experience come together to say we're going to solve this problem for the broader community and obviously having healthcare at the table 
not always been the case, I think. Correct. So how did you manage to drive that? What were the key things that allowed for this? Was it COVID or was it more than that? Was there something going on that allowed for this community spirit and combined pulling in a single direction? Oh, what a great question. This has actually been the story of my life. So I am adamant about public-private partnerships. And I guess I learned that early in my career as I worked in uh, politics um, and worked for various administrations that believed that the public sector and the private sector needed to come together to solve complex problems because it is in the best interest of our economy. Now, some people think we should do it because it's in the best interest of humankind. Others think we should do it because it's in the best interest of capitalism. I don't really care why we do it. We just need to do it. Need to come together, right? Divisiveness is not serving the United States of America well at all. So how did I come to it? I've been doing it throughout my whole career. Detroit attracted me. I was attracted to relocating to the city because it's in the DNA, it's in the ethos of the community to come together, to survive, to thrive, to try to solve complex problems, despite often being the underdog, right? And so I just found in my very short tenure here that people are just driven to coming together to try to fix things that are broken, right? And so we also have some major corporations and industries that are thriving in this marketplace who um, I do think feel compelled uh, for humanistic and compassionate reasons to improve the well-being of the community, but also understand that that's integral to capitalism, right? Ford Motor Company is here. Ford Motor Company founded Henry Ford Health. You can't have people buy cars or make cars if they don't have a means of doing so, and they don't have a means of doing so if they're not healthy enough to go to work, right? So there's a direct correlation. You can see, right, the loop. Um, that exists there. So I think Detroit is just one of those places where folks get it, right? They get that you have to come together. And in order to come together to solve these complex problems, you might not always agree on the why, but you definitely agree on the outcome you want to achieve, right? So what is it about Detroit that has created that cooperative relationship? Was it facing the adversity and the challenges with the decline is do, do we have to necessarily and and maybe this you know relates to the pandemic that we've sort yeah, of pushed yeah. more places into that realization that the old way of conflict or right. you know non-cooperative uh, relationships was that why Detroit maybe was better prepared because they'd already been through some of this, do you think? Well, I will say, honestly, I don't know if Detroit was better prepared, right? All of the data shows that many of the folks in our community have had some of the worst health outcomes in the nation. And that's because we started with an unhealthy population in the first place. I think the resilience comes from lack of choice, right? You don't have anywhere to go but up. Um, COVID is a significant driver, Nick. I also think the uh, public murder of George Floyd and the attention that was received um, by those who have been victims of ruthless violence um, in our Black community also played a role, 
because the folks that we're talking about who don't have access, a majority of them are African-Americans, the descendants of slavery in the continental U.S., as well as our brown brothers and sisters, right, of Spanish and Hispanic origin, as well as Asian descent. And so because of that racial discrimination that existed and that we unfortunately got the unfortunate privilege to see, I don't even know if it was a privilege, in some level, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that folks are now aware or woke um, as a result, because we don't want George Floyd or anybody's death to be in vain. Those were significant drivers to folks saying, you know, this is intolerable. Hmm. The disparities, the inequity, the discrimination that exists in our country is not tolerable. And so because we were home as a result of COVID to witness that, I think the confluence of all that Hmm. is what has resulted in folks saying, what can I do? So you have individuals saying, what can I do? You have corporations saying, what can I do? You have nonprofit organizations saying, what can I do? It's, it's refreshing to be in a position where folks are saying, what can I do? There's still a ton to do, right? The disparities and the inequities in health outcomes are absolutely real. The disparities and the inequities in access to technology are absolutely real. So there is a huge uh, uphill battle for us to fight. Um, but we start, I think, this is Carla Denise's opinion, with partnership, right? Putting your um, defenses down and saying, I can't do this alone. Maybe my organization can't do this alone. Who are the like-minded, logical partners for us to try to tackle some of these problems together. So we've talked about the focus and the spotlight that has really exposed all of this. And you've articulated some of the changes that have come about that I think have introduced some positivity and appropriate shifting in the way that we deliver health and wellness by bringing different individuals to the table. Can you share some of those examples and some of the things that you've learned as part of that? Yes, so I'm gonna start kind of at the macro level and then go down to the micro. You know, at the the macro level, um, many of these organizations sat still and either refreshed their strategic plans to include diversity, equity, inclusion, and an emphasis on social justice. So that from a healthcare perspective, we can actually start getting to the root cause of health inequities. Again, and that's where data is important. And so we saw a huge um, increase in the collaboration between organizations to share data and share insights that can enable us to then identify where some of the real hotspots are in the country. A good example of that is TruVeta, which is a partnership between health plan or health delivery systems um, to come together and share data and insights. At the macro or the micro level, Henry Ford, like many, many other health systems and community-based organizations went out in the street and set up mobile units, right? Um, took the internet to people instead of waiting for the internet to be arrived, um, actually took devices out um, or brought people in. And so I think that grassroots effort is something that was happening before, but there was actually also funding that came from philanthropists 
as well as the government, right, to support it. I serve on the board of an organization called Haluna Health, which is located, headquartered in California. We got upwards of a million dollars to support grassroots efforts to go out and try to provide COVID kits to the homeless during this crisis, right? To ensure that young mothers and their children right, had access to food and could do that virtually because, you know, they couldn't necessarily go out to the grocery store. So how did we get to food to them? And so that all came from philanthropic gifts, um, some that were anonymous, completely anonymous, and others where folks were on a massive campaign to raise money, right, to support those who needed it the most. So I, to summarize, I think at a macro level, what we saw was a recommitment among healthcare to make sure we understood exactly where the inequities were occurring and then to drill down on root causes so that we could plan and put solutions in place. None of that has materialized yet, right? We're still in the early stages. And then at the micro level, folks rolled up their sleeves. People who could write checks were writing checks and people who could put on their tennis shoes and go out and help another human being we're doing that as well as a result of the COVID, as a result of the racial, um, the endemic nature of racism that was uh, highlighted uh, during the COVID pandemic. Uh, a lot of good stuff has happened um, over the last two years. I like to look at the silver linings. I'm gonna be candid, Nick, uh, I'm not quite sure. I think the jury is still out on the sustainability of that and the impact that it will have for perpetuity. There's still a ton of work to do. So I, I love hearing about the positivity. I, you know, I understand the challenge of that persistence, but I would suggest as, as you rightly described, resilience comes from lack of choice. And what the pandemic did was created a lack of choice Correct. worldwide, essentially. And it is the onus is on us, uh, all of us, uh, to preclude the forgetting of that memory and making sure that it persists so that those changes continue and expand, importantly. Um, I, I think essential for all of humanity, not just you know the US, the healthcare system. Um, Carla, Denise, it's been a true privilege. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Very, very well said, Nick. We need to not forget. Solving the complex and intractable problems of healthcare access and equity demands a community and team-based approach. Technology plays its part and certainly provides the insights and data identifying problems and helping target resources to deliver solutions where they're most needed. But technology is just that, a player and contributor, an important supporting act, but can only be part of the solution, not the solution. We have seen the incredible galvanizing of the will and resources mobilized from all corners of the globe and communities to pull together for the betterment of our world. That can't stop. And we must learn from our experiences and the response to the pandemic and continue to apply these lessons to our world going forward. Positive change can continue and can continue at the increased rate we saw during the pandemic. Your better pill to swallow? 
is to recommit to continuing the incredible community and public-minded approach to our world and helping others. The pandemic created resilience in all of us. We were united in our desire to help one another. And while the pandemic's impact is changing, our response and attitudes must not. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown, and join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.